Welcome everybody one more time to Mill City Church. We're so glad to have you here today. Why don't you find your chair? We'll continue worshiping together. Would you pray with me as we look at the scripture today? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're gathered together in this particular place at Sheridan School this morning in, uh, in March of 2020, and we know that you are with us, that whenever we're gathered together, wherever we're gathered together, you promise to be among us. And so we're grateful for your presence. Help us to be even more aware of, of who you are and what you want to say to us this morning. Help us to have open hearts and open minds to listen to the word and to what it is you might want us to pay attention to. Encourage us as, as we listen this morning, God, and challenge us in the areas of our lives that we need to be challenged. Remind us of your grace and your mercy and your unconditional love and help us to be sent back into this world that you love, that you have uh, work for us to do, to be part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're in the second week of celebrating Lent, and Lent, put simply, is the period of time in the church's calendar where we prepare ourselves to celebrate Easter, Good Friday and Easter. And there are Christians around the world who, for six Sundays leading up to Easter, are preparing, reminding ourselves of what it is that God has done for us and getting ready to celebrate Jesus' victory over death on the cross. So this year during Lent, we decided to focus on the identity statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. Many of you are reading the book of John as part of our uh, challenge to read the New Testament in 2020 in Mill City Church. There are seven different I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John, and we're going to look at one of them today when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But instead of uh, kind of a normal introduction to the topic, I want to give you an exercise to do for a minute right where you are. So if you have a pen or you have a phone and you want to use your phone, here's what I want you to do as we get started. There's a slip of paper some of you received on your way in. If you have it, you can get it out. If you want one, maybe someone will bring one to you. Or you can just make your own on the back of a card or on your phone. It simply has a number of I am statements. So here's what I want you to do. I want you just to think for a second if you had to fill in these statements thinking about yourself, you're describing yourself to whoever, and you have to fill in the blank. I am, what would you say after that? How do you want to fill that in? Some examples are, I am a sibling. I am exhausted because they took an hour of sleep away from me. I am a pet owner. I am a Christian. I am a friend. I work in a, you know... However you want to define your identity, there's no wrong answer. Uh, fill out as many as you can in a minute or so. It'll be quiet in the room. And um, you don't have to share these with anyone. You're not going to turn them in. There's, there's no assignment. It's just for you. So take a second. Whatever comes to mind, just write it down. Don't overthink it. And if you get through the ones that are on your sheet and you want to flip it over and keep going, see how many you can do in just a minute or two. So take a second and think about it. How would you describe yourself? I am fill in the blank.
Everybody got one or two? Raise your hand if you thought that was hard. Yeah, some of you. Some of you, you found it easy. Raise your hand. Okay. A little, little bit more on the easy side. Uh, every one of those, now look at your statements for a second, okay? And think of a story that lies behind each one of your I am statements. So, if you said, I am a sibling, you have a story that describes your life as a sibling, or maybe more than one story, right? Um, I have one, I am a dad, and I thought of the story about how I became a dad. And it's an emotionally intense story of my wife and I battling with infertility and wondering if we could have children, and then eventually being uh, gifted a, a daughter. And it was a terribly emotional, amazing part of our life, season of our life. So these little short statements that maybe have these really deep stories and narratives behind them that describe you, and maybe you find that your descriptions are all over the place, like, I am a basketball fan, I am a, you know, some of them are more superficial than others, um, but they all have little stories behind them, right? And if, you, if, you, if I gave you time, you could turn to the people next to you and st start to share some of those stories. And I encourage you this week to look at some of those I am statements and maybe even use this practice with somebody else in your life and say, would you write down a handful of I am statements and then tell me about one of them? It's a really interesting way to actually ask people about how they understand themselves and how they view themselves, and you might learn something about people that you care about if you did that with them. So I want you to just keep this in mind as we look at these I am statements that Jesus makes, because essentially they're the same thing. He's making statements about how he understands his identity, and as Christians, that informs how we understand our identity, which is one of the reasons why we're focusing on these questions and these statements during Lent. So there's seven different I am statements that Jesus makes, and the one, like I said, we're going to focus on today is, I am the light of the world that shows up in John chapter 8. If you want to open your Bible or grab on your phone and look up John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 12 in just a second. But in order to really understand what Jesus says in this chapter, you have to get a picture of where he is. And why does he decide to use this particular I am statement at this particular moment? He doesn't just pick it out of the air and decide, today I'm going to describe myself as the light of the world. There are some circumstances that are really critical to understand. So let me tell you a little bit about the background, and I have some images for you. So uh, in chapter 7 of John, we learn that Jesus in the midst of this celebration called the Festival of Tabernacles, or sometimes called the Festival of Booths, not to be confused with state fair booths. These are booths that people would stay in, that they would live in for about a week, like eight days. And they would set these things up in the middle of the city and, and live in them and live in community. Even if they weren't from the city, they would come there and they would put up these, these uh, little tents or booths or places to live and sleep. And that was to remind them of the period of their life when they left Egypt, when God left, led them out of Egypt, and they had to live in the desert for a long time. And they would live in these tents in the desert. And every day, God would provide them food in the form of this bread that they called manna. And God would have to show them in the middle of the desert where water was available. And sometimes water was coming out of rocks and odd places in order to provide what the people needed as God was leading them. They had a pillar of cloud 
during the day that literally went before them and they helped them know where they were going in the desert because they had no clue where they were. They had a pillar of fire, Exodus tells us, in the evenings to show them where they were and where they were going and to light their way. And so this celebration is a way to remember this time when they were a mobile community. They didn't have a city. They didn't have a temple in a city. They would set up a temporary temple in order to worship God in wherever they were currently camped, called the tabernacle. And so this festival, this late fall festival, which is at the same time celebrating the harvest and bringing in the food for the year, was an annual celebration that people would come to Jerusalem to to, uh, observe. And so in John 7, we're learning that Jesus actually sneaks into this festival. His brothers, uh, his blood brothers, they ask him, are you going to go? They're kind of taunting him. Like, if you're such a big deal, you should probably go up to this festival and let people know who you are. Like, start your public campaign. And he tells them, no, no, it's not my time. And then in the middle of the festival, like in the middle of the week, he sneaks up there and starts teaching in the middle of the, of the temple where people are gathered. He starts talking about himself in terms that are being used by the festival. So in chapter 7, he says, if you want to have living water, then you should come to me and I will give you living water that will spring up within you. Well, he doesn't, he's not just randomly talking about water. He's referring to the moment in the week festival when they were remembering how water came out of a rock and God provided for them in the desert. And when we get to this piece of um, the text that we're going to read here in a second, it's on probably the last day of the festival when it's one of the moments where light is really important part of the festival. So you have these, these pictures of what the temple might look like. These are not actual first century pictures. They're recreations, in case that wasn't clear. So you see in the, in the left there and kind of in the upper part of the right side, these sort of enormous lamps, candelabras that hold lights of various kinds. If you can go to the next picture for me. Here's another idea of at night when these things are all lit up, what they might look like. And there were four different places in what they called the court of women, which was the area where only Jewish people are allowed, but of any gender. And it was also the place in the temple where they collected the cash. So they wanted to make sure to take the offering where the ladies were so that the ladies could give their offerings too. And uh, verse 20 that I'm about to read to you tells us that's where Jesus was when he was talking about being the light of the world. And at night during the festival, it's unclear if it was one night or all the nights, they would fill these giant bowls, golden bowls, four of them in each of the four stations, so 16 bowls full of oil and light them up. And the temple, you can imagine in a society where there aren't street lights and there's not public lighting at night, you have these giant lights coming from this temple at night that you can see for a good distance. So literally, they were celebrating that God's presence in the temple is the light of the world. You see? Um, This is the space where Jesus decides to stand in the court of women and say, I am the light of the world. He's not just coming up with this metaphor from a random space. He's referring to the celebration that that they're observing in the moment. So let's read here, and you can kind of see the context and what kind of pushback he gets 
from making this claim in the middle of this festival. John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, like here you are, right? Like in this particular spot, here, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is my Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me. Or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Don't you think that last verse gives us a clue that maybe what he said was not exactly popular? Nobody seized him right then because his hour had not yet come. Jesus is making a a really strong claim about who he is, about his own identity in the midst of one of the most important celebrations in the life of uh, the people of Israel. He's saying that light, that the light of the world is found in him and maybe not just the temple which is why this is such a radical claim. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So to really understand what he means by I am the light of the world, you have to also connect some dots to the Old Testament. The very first thing that God creates in Genesis 1 is what? Light. God creates light first. Exodus chapter 13, as I mentioned, God led the Israelites during the evenings, during the nighttime, by a pillar of fire that gave them light. Psalm 119 says that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light in our life. Israel is often described as the light of the nations, a light to the nation. That God's blessing and God's identity was supposed to be so well formed in the community of Israelites that they would help other people to know who God was by the way that they lived in the world and the way that they treated people outside of their community. And God used to get extremely upset with Israel when they didn't live into their calling to be a light to the nations or a light to the Gentiles, sometimes it says in the Old Testament. So Jesus is making all these claims in this moment. He's making a claim standing in the temple that he is the fulfillment of God's light in the world, not even just for the Israelites, but for the entire world. He can show us the way to live. He can show the world what life lived in God's kingdom would ultimately be like. Jesus can overcome the darkness in our lives and in the world. And he's taking a stand in the middle of this huge celebration, telling everyone, I am the light of the world. 
Does it make sense why this is such an, a critical moment? This isn't a casual conversation. He has strategically placed himself in the temple to make this claim. So I want to spend a minute just talking about what is the claim that Jesus is making and why did that make everybody so mad and then make some connections to how we're talking about this in the 21st century now. So what is this claim exactly that Jesus is making? He's saying that the light, the metaphor of light, means that he can help anyone find the real life that God has in mind for them. That covenant relationship with Jesus, having a personal, intimate commitment to following Jesus and Jesus committed to loving us unconditionally as displayed on the cross, helps us find four things in our life. The first one is that it helps us understand who we are. Jesus is telling him, you are not just sons of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham. You are children of God, created in the image of God. John chapter 1 in, in John's gospel says that we are given the right to become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So when, when we're asking ourselves or anyone's asking us, like, who are we? Jesus is making a claim about our identity. He wants to tell us, this is who you are. By faith in Christ, you are my son. You are my daughter. That's who you are. Don't let anybody tell you differently. The second thing that Jesus is describing as light is purpose. Jesus is lighting the way for us to understand our purpose in joining the work that God's doing in the world. Reconciliation, restoration, peace, shalom, peace and justice that God is working towards in the world and always has been working towards in the world. Through this relationship with Jesus, through the light that Jesus provides to us, we get to see what we're supposed to do in our life. The light shows us the path down which to go to find meaning and purpose in your life. The third thing that Jesus lights the way for us to understand is how to deal with sin and brokenness and evil in the world. The way to deal with sin, Jesus shows us, is to acknowledge it, to own our part of it, to accept the forgiveness that God gives us in our life through what Jesus accomplishes on the cross, and to deal with evil in the world by joining Christ's suffering, like we just sang about a few minutes ago. The way to overcome evil in the world is not to overpower the Roman Empire and create a new empire. It is to give one's life up and conquer by suffering and, and joining the cause of those who are ignored, oppressed, rejected by others. Jesus has a different way of dealing with evil and suffering than trying to overpower your enemies. Instead, he says you have to love your enemies. You have to recognize the brokenness in yourself Receive healing and wholeness and forgiveness for the things that you have done to contribute to what's happening in the world. And then join Jesus' movement of sharing peace through active suffering with those who are oppressed. That's what Jesus did for us. So this covenant relationship with Jesus, we begin to say, see God's way of dealing with brokenness and evil in the world. And finally, Jesus is lighting the way for us to understand our hope not just in the world that we live in, but beyond life on earth. So we know that death is not the end for us because Jesus has conquered death and we will spend eternity in Jesus, with Jesus. 
in God's creation that's fully restored, where there's no sickness and no threats of virus and no death and no illness and nothing that can harm us and prevent us from having whole relationships with each other and God. And so all of these things are part of of Jesus' strong claim that he can show us the way to understand ourselves, to understand our purpose in life, life, the way to deal with the brokenness and the evil that's happening in the world, and the hope that Jesus offers us for an eternal future that's different. What happens after Jesus makes his claim in this text? He gets a warm welcome from the people around him. He gets a whole bunch of sermon head nods saying, yeah, you're totally on. Keep going, pastor. Oh, he gets immediate pushback. He gets immediate pushback from the Pharisees, the significant religious leaders of the time. And their their pushback is basically, in 21st century language, who do you think you are? How in the world... Do you have the gall to stand where you're standing and claim to be the light of the world? We know where you're from. Who do you think you are telling us? You don't even have proper education. And you're going to tell us what the light of the world is like? We ought to seize you right now and throw you in jail or do worse to you, which is part of their plan, right? They ask him, Who's supporting your testimony? Like, who's your footnote? Like, who's backing you up on this thing? Cite your source. And he says back to them, like, hey, I don't need one because I know where I came from. And if I did need one, the Father, who you don't know or understand, is my witness. This line of questioning that we see in this text from the Pharisees of Jesus in this moment seems a ton to me like the same line of questioning we have in conversations today. There are tons of questions in regular conversations that we're all having about who gets to be authoritative on anything, right? In fact, the normal assumption for many of us is that no one has authority, really, to decide for you who you are, or what your life is about. In the 21st century, religious leaders are not the authority. The government's not the authority. The schools are not the authority. Your parents are not the authority. You are the authority. We live in the most individualistic country in the world, and we live in an era of cultures where people are taught that you get to decide everything about your life. You decide what is true about who you are. You decide what your life should be about. Now, I think that the shift towards individuals being the primary place of authority is one of the reasons why we're in what I might call an identity crisis in 2020, at least in the United States. Many people are increasingly skeptical of anybody telling them what sounds like an ultimate claim, a a truth that's supposed to go beyond themselves. We don't allow for that so much anymore. We assume that each of us has the responsibility to determine ourselves what is true, what is good, what is right for us, right? You can put for me on the end of any sentence and be fine. I love this way of doing life. It works for me. 
and then no one will question you. This new version of authority, I think, is a, is a new version of an old temptation that has happened many times over in Scripture. That temptation is to make ourselves God instead of allowing the God of the Bible to be God. For centuries, we have been tempted to think that we can create a better world for ourselves. We can create more meaning for our lives than the one that God has in mind for us. This has taken so many different forms in history, from idol worship to nation building to the pursuit of personal happiness as the ultimate good in life. But the root of the problem is the same in all those different forms. We think we can create a better life for ourselves than God can. And it's just not true. We're suffering right now under the pressure of having to construct our own identity each and every day, sometimes each and every minute of a day. We have to tell other people who we are by our political opinions, by our social media posts, by our success in jobs and careers, by our gender and sexual identities, by our consumer choices and our physical appearance. Every day is an opportunity to reshape your identity, isn't it? And it's exhausting. Anybody else tired? It's exhausting in part because it's not what God created us to do with our lives. Instead of creating our own identities, God wants, us to, God wants to tell us who we are. Jesus wants to light the path to your self-understanding to help you know and feel what it's like to be an unconditionally loved child of God that God designed for purposeful work in the world. That God wants us to receive this grace and mercy that God offers to us so that we don't have to start every day trying to prove our worth and retell the story of our identity in a way that connects with other people. That God would invite us into this amazing work of restoring creation to its intended purpose. That's the light that Jesus offers to us. He says that by walking in this light, we will find ourselves. We will find peace. We will find purpose. We will find true love in relationship with God and our true place in the world that God created. Jesus' invitation to walk in the light is in direct competition with the invitation to create your own identity. Jesus' invitation to walk in the light is in direct confrontation and competition with the world's invitation to create your own identity. We have to choose which path we're going to follow. It's just as audacious in the 21st century as it was in the first century when Jesus made this claim. Let me invite the band to come back up. I want to end today by just saying, Jesus is very clearly making a claim to his own identity. And that identity has some implications for you and for us. Jesus is the light of the whole world. One who can show us who God is, who we are, and what life is supposed to be about. Steph framed this question last week in her sermon. She said, what if we allow Jesus to shape our identity first? What if at the top of your I am statements that you, that you started just a few minutes ago, you say, who does Jesus say I am? 
Does that change your list from your own perception of who you are? Letting Jesus inform the core of who we are is going to help us navigate an increasingly complex world where almost everyone is in some form of identity. We could be rooted, if we return to our faith in Christ, we could be rooted in a clear definition of who Jesus says we are. Jesus is actively inviting us today to follow him in this way. Let me finish with a short story. A gentleman in my evangelism class that we just finished up last week told a story. And part of his story really struck me in connection with this sermon. He was telling us about how most of his life, his, his growing up life and his young adult life, he was searching for a way to make sense of the world and make sense of himself. And he was exposed to all kinds of different philosophies and ideas and religious perspectives. And he had kind of constructed this web of meaning for himself. And then he met a girl. And he was in relationship with this woman, and she had a different way of viewing life and a different way of living her life. And at one point, they start talking about why they live their lives the way that they do. And he asks her, "What, what is it that shapes how you go about your daily life and what you're doing? And she says, my relationship with Jesus shapes that. And then he said, I started to explain to her all of the different spaces that I had found meaning and influence And as the words were coming out of my mouth, I realized they had no substance to them. That I had just made them up. I had just, like in a smorgasbord, grabbed a bunch of random ideas and constructed a way of thinking about life that came from me. And when I heard her confidence and her faith that this person outside of herself, God himself in human form, Jesus, told her who she was, And that brought her joy and purpose and meaning and forgiveness and wholeness. I wanted that too. And in in those moments that followed, I decided to be a follower of Jesus instead of following this worldview that I had created for myself. I think that's the -the on-the-ground reality that we're in right now. There are so many competing messages about who you are and what life is about. When you hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world, he wants to cut through all those messages and remind you I already know who you are. You don't have to prove it to anyone. You just have to receive it from me and then live into it. And you'll be on an amazing, purposeful adventure for the rest of your life until God's kingdom comes. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for having the courage to stand up in the midst of opposition and tell us who you are. And by extension, Jesus, tell us who we are reaffirm our identity. Give us confidence, Lord, that we are yours no matter what. Nothing can take our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High King away from us. And the work that you have to do in our lives and through us in the world, God, matters more than anything else we can pursue. Help us to renew our commitment or maybe make a commitment for the first time to follow you and allow your light to lead our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.